and welcome to another episode of Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, one of the hosts of Psychology and Stuff, and I am here, as always, with my co-host. She is the chair of the UW-Green Bay Psychology Program, a statistician and environmental psychologist, and one of my besties. It's Dr. Georgina Wilson-Dungess. How's it going, G? It is going very, very well. Um, it is a, a new school year here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay, so uh, that is very exciting. Um, can I let a small cat out of the bag about your new um, thing, or would you like to say something about No, that? go for it. This is, we got news. We got to share uh, our news. We, we got news. We have news happening um, that my, my co-host here, Ryan Martin, was just promoted. I don't know if that's necessarily it. He is now the Dean of the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences at UW-Green Bay, which means that I used to be his boss, and now he's mine. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) Yeah, I... Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but I hear you. That that seems accurate. So you better be as nice to me as I was to you, because I <laughs> I feel like feel like I have I have something coming to me. Yeah, no, I will be exactly as nice to you as you were. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should go back and reconsider. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I I appreciate that introduction and you letting the cat out of the bag there. And it feeds into some stuff we got to talk about today on our episode. But first, I have a quick question for you. And that is, how was your summer? It was tremendous. Um, I did some traveling early on. And then I stuck around Wisconsin for uh, August because it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it was. Like there's no better place on the planet than Wisconsin in the summer. So it was yep. delightful. How about you? Similarly delightful. Uh, the the new job uh, came about somewhat unexpectedly at the beginning. So I had made a bunch of travel plans, not knowing I would have a uh, new work or a new job. So um, some of that was a little bit stressful, but overall tons and tons of time with uh, family all over the country. It felt like lots of different places, lots of different trips, which was really, really great. And then, um, but similarly, I was here all of August and had a really, really good time just enjoying the beautiful, beautiful weather that is Wisconsin in August. And as as you know, we are moving into my favorite season in Wisconsin, um, which I know you don't necessarily agree with, but I love me some fall. I love the spooky season. Yep. See, I love fall. I do not like the spooky season. So get me past October 31st and I am golden. I am down for a good gather together sign, um, like a a good turkey uh, sign up there. But you put it like the 30 foot like skeleton that some Mm -hmm. people have down the street. And I'm like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Why would you do that to me and others? Hey, okay, so that's an interesting question. We are going to get to our guest. We have a guest today, everybody, and we're going to get to her in one moment. But uh, uh, first, though, I have a question, a serious question. Then we're going to ask our guest the same question. In your mind, obviously, there's like an official start date for fall. But in your mind, what is the official fall start date or or the unofficial? Like what's what's when do you when does fall start for you? The Tuesday after Labor Day. Oh, okay. You know what? That wasn't the question. Sorry. That is the correct answer to that question. 
<laughs> the question was, when does fall end? When does winter start? Mm, winter. When does winter start? Huh. I would say like in Wisconsin, a lot earlier than others, but <laughs> I would say like um, maybe even the, the day after Thanksgiving. That, that's kind of where I am too. I, I am actually with you on both those things. I think a lot of times I think the Monday, Labor Day is when in my mind, but you're right. That's still a kind of a summery time, but um. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's the day after Thanksgiving was would be my my answer there. That's when we de tend to decorate for Christmas too, which is part of why um, it feels like that. This is exactly the kind of hard hitting stuff our listeners tuned in for. <laughs> I'm, I'm confident. Tuning in, yeah, and we would love to hear all of your thoughts. So please yeah. when, when do all of when do all of the seasons start and go? Um, okay. <laughs> So we should get to our guest, but then I do, yes. I do wish to hear her thoughts on when seasons start. So I hope she's been preparing for this. So <laughs> um, regular listeners will know who our guest is, and this is actually fitting into the news that we just provided uh, about my new job. So our guest today is actually no longer a guest, but will be the new host of Psychology and Stuff. She's an assistant professor in uh, the psychology program here at UW-Green Bay. She studies empathy and perspective taking and runs the social research lab here on campus. She has a PhD in cognitive, social, and developmental psychology from the New School of Social Research. And she did her postdoc at the National Institute for Health, where she studied the health benefits of emerging technologies. Please welcome my friend, Dr. Allison Jane Martingano. How's it going? Hey, what an introduction, wow. Nothing but the best for the, <laughs> the the now and future host of uh, psychology and stuff. So, um, I guess first of all, we're gonna get to the we're gonna talk about the host stuff in a second because our listeners are probably have questions. But more importantly, when does winter start? Yeah, I was thinking about this, and I've decided that for me it starts earlier. I feel like winter starts early November, maybe November 5th, which is bonfire night in the UK, Guy Fox night. Yeah. But I, I feel like when I move to America, winter here starts later, but it also goes way yeah. longer. So it's still winter here in April. Or is that, <laughs> that's not true in Europe. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I actually can't tell you when winter ends. And I um, it, sometimes it lasts way, way, way too long. I don't have a good firm start and end date for winter slash when spring starts. I wondered specifically because Thanksgiving isn't necessarily a holiday that you celebrate. Uh, and so uh, I wasn't sure if you would have a similar marker or not. No, although I have got really into Thanksgiving. It, it somewhat feels like a second Christmas for me. It's another big excuse to get all the family together and, and eat a lot of food. So I'm I'm in. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's my favorite holiday, actually. I'm a I'm a big fan. Wow. That that Good is enough. like some, somehow shocking from the, the both of you that you are Thanksgiving lovers because oh. there's no presence involved. And so that's why I don't like it. Because like what's the point? of a holiday where there are no gifts. I'm going to tell you this, and this is like not a not a great take. So everybody just be prepared for, for the downer that is what I'm about to say. I've really lost my love for giving and receiving <laughs> presents in the modern era. The, the only people I like to give gifts to now are my kids. And, and honestly, it's just, I, I just think as you become adults, 
I don't know, like if my wife has something she wants, she goes and gets it. <laughs> and so it's like at, when the holidays come around, I'm not totally sure what uh, what to do. So yeah, it's not as fun. So you didn't love my shark themed Wiener Wings kit? No. That I gave you as a present? Yeah. What? Okay. So actually in all seriousness, this is when I do love gifts is because of the, uh, uh, the things like that, the unexpected, totally shocking thing that I would never get myself. I imagine that that, maybe I'm wrong, but I imagine that that costs like $5. And- um, He's calling you cheap, Georgina. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's a little bit more than that. I'm just gonna really? say. <laughs> okay, well, all the, I, I expected it to be inexpensive, uh, but it's it's one of my favorite things. So can I, can I share you, share with you related a thing that Sawa, other guest, uh, regular guest on our show, she gave me this. Oh, this was my present when I got the new job. I listened. Shark Hugger's Guide. It's a Shark Hugger's Guide and a little stuffed shark. And it, (laughs) um, and it, I liked it so much. I read the, the first, I read the intro to the book and I started to cry. And so I had to set it down. (laughs) <laughs> so I've never actually finished it because um yeah so we'll see but I haven't finished it because it was overwhelming wow isn't that nice Shark Maybe that's a whole other episode Allison Jane that you might uh ask Ryan to come back and talk about his shark level emotions yeah yeah I got shark feelings complicated <laughs> shark feelings so- <laughs> I'm taking a pen I'm gonna write that down complicated shark feelings <laughs> you, that is exactly what my therapist did. Um, <laughs> we should so we should explain what's happening. Um, yes. So uh, as it stands, uh, the new job does not really allow for me uh, to have the kind of time to to dedicate to this particular endeavor. And um, I'll have lots of things to say at the end of this episode about what the show has meant to me. But I feel really, really, really good about what we're doing here because Allison Jane is spectacular at this and she's going to be incredible. And most importantly, she promised she'd have me back on regularly. So that to me is is why this uh, this feels like the best possible solution. So uh, Allison Jane is going to be taking over as host in the early, you know, uh, starting kind of as soon as this episode is done, or maybe even midway through this episode. Um, <laughs> she's going to be taking over, and I'm thrilled because this has been a lot of fun, and uh, I know it's going to continue and uh, be great, and listeners are going to love it, and probably even more. That's going to be the depressing part, is when people like it more, and then I have to acknowledge that I was the problem this whole time. Sometimes you just have to do that, Ryan. You have to yeah. work through your complicated shark feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, Alice and Jane, we need to tell the world all about you. Like they've they've heard you on two episodes now, too, right? Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna. Um, I want to. There's a particular article we're gonna talk about here in a second that you wrote recently, which wins the award for a uh, top five title. By the way. Um, yeah. Really, in my mind, this I don't know what the other four are, uh, <laughs> but I'm prepared to tell you that I really like the title of this article. So we're gonna we're gonna get there in a second, but we're gonna make people wait. But before we get there, will you uh, tell people about yourself? Who is Allison Jane? Really? Who am I really? Yes. Oh, it's getting deep fast. That's right. 
Well, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to steal uh, one of Georgina's descriptions that she told me as we were walking over here to record the show, uh, which was that I am an extroverted introvert. Uh, so I, uh, I I love talking to people and I love sharing ideas, but I do sometimes need to curl up and go to bed early and, and recharge and refresh. Uh, so that would probably be me, really. Uh, as a psychologist, uh, I, I think that um, as a field, we have a horrible tendency to overcomplicate everything more than we need to. So I'm thrilled to to take over this podcast and try and make sense of things um, and take articles that are written in that academic nonsense and translate them. Um, because I, I really do think that what psychologists have to say is super important, but we manage to frequently fail to convey that when we're writing. Allison Jane, my heart literally leapt out of my chest when you said that. That is That sentence right there is proof that we made the right choice regarding where to go with this, because that has always been the goal, is to take unnecessarily complicated stuff, um, that's my editorial, um, and make it uh, the kind of thing people understand and and talk about how it connects to people's lives. And so I am thrilled to hear you say that and uh, and agree wholeheartedly. Absolutely. And you, you do do some writing uh, for Psychology Today, which is another sort of outlet that I feel has a similar goal that takes complicated science and uh, and puts it out there in a, a little bit easier to understand form. So I feel like you are in the know of the most current kind of trends in psychology. So that's super exciting for me as well. I do. I do love my Psychology Today blog, and I, I do think of it as a similar sort of goal. Uh, but th this one, uh, I'm going to have to get used to people hearing my voice, I suppose. And I've never done that before. Um, but I do find a, a lot of the people I talk to listen to podcasts, even if they don't necessarily read things like Psychology Today. So even my mom listens to podcasts now. So and I feel like I'm getting to a new audience. Wow. We're going to have one more listener That's right, right after this episode. <laughs> That's right. Very, very cool. So let's, um, I guess, first, let's tell people a little bit more about what you study, and then let's get to this particular article. Um, so I had mentioned, you know, uh, empathy and perspective taking. Yeah, obviously, longtime listeners have heard you before, but maybe remind people what uh, what what that means. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I'm an, I think of myself as an empathy researcher. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested in the sort of activities and situations that can foster and grow our empathy, sort of based on the idea that empathy is something like a muscle and can be worked and practiced on and increased and improved uh, with effort. Uh, and that's sort of the second part, that it, it's not something that's easy to cultivate or easy to improve. It's something that we actually have to do deliberately and put time into and work into if we want to become a, a more empathic person. Uh, so the other side to that is I do do a lot of research um, often debunking a lot of claims to quick fixes uh, to empathy. So there's a lot of talk out there that certain things are sort of like an empathy pill or uh, somehow gonna miraculously make you a more empathic person. And then a lot of the times when we really test these things rigorously, they don't quite stand up to the hype. Uh, and, and actually it, it does require a bit of work to, to become a more empathic person. Give me an example of a thing that doesn't work. I'm curious to know, like, what is when people pitch these quick fixes, what uh, what do they look like? 
so the one that I was working on for a while was um, virtual reality, specifically uh, 360 degree video virtual reality. So this has become really popular with nonprofit organizations and voluntary organizations that will try and maybe they'll put you in a, a 360 video of a refugee camp or, or some other kind of war-torn area. And the idea is that being there will increase your empathy. And to a certain extent, that's true. You will feel bad in the moment, but then pretty much as soon as you take those virtual reality goggles off, the feelings go away as well. So it doesn't have sort of the long-term impact uh, that these organizations are probably trying to achieve. Is that what got you interested in like the interface between empathy and technology or some of those studies that you were, you were like, wow, I'm an empathy researcher. I want to increase people's empathy. Let's see if these new like high tech or uh, like semi high tech things work. Is that how you got into that space? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I I think I've always been a bit of a skeptic of some of the claims that I, I see in the in the media, and they can go both ways. So sometimes I'll see like, oh, virtual reality is the new empathy pill. And I'll be like, nah, that seems unlikely. But on the other side, I'll see, you know, social media is ruining the empathy of today's youth. And I'll be like, that also seems overblown. So, so most of the time uh, I, I see these claims and I, I just think, oh, we really need to test that to see whether that's true or not. So, okay, you give an example of a thing that's probably a little bit overblown. What's an example of a thing? I mean, if I wanted to go, I think you've described this before, like the empathy gym. If I needed to go work out my empathy, what do I do? Where do I where do I go pay a bunch of money and then not go five days a week uh, <laughs> to make it the equivalent of an empathy gym? Uh, yeah, so there are a variety of different empathy gyms uh, okay. that you could you could involve yourself in and pick the one that is most appropriate to you. I guess kind of going with the exercise metaphor, right? Not every type of exercise works for everyone. You've got to pick the one that you will actually stick at. Um, but basically any kind of a situation that's going to challenge you to try and decipher what someone else is thinking or feeling is the opportunity to be an empathy gym. Uh, so we're talking complex, ambiguous social situations. So situations where it's not obvious necessarily what somebody's thinking or feeling, but you have to work a little bit to figure it out. Uh, so a couple of examples of things like this would be reading fiction, uh, when you've got to try and figure out the character's emotions, or you have to try and figure out their motives, um, or similarly uh, engaging with other works of art. If you think about, you know, what is the Mona Lisa? What is, is she smiling? Is she happy? Is she sad? Trying to figure that out. And there's lots of uh, research to suggest that engagement with the arts in this way can increase your empathy because you're essentially trying to figure out what these characters are thinking and feeling. And then, of course, we have real life. So any real life situation that you engage with where you're not sure and it's difficult uh, to figure out what somebody else is thinking or feeling, that's an opportunity to work those muscles. And that seems like many, many different opportunities. So why aren't we better at it? <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great question. And there's actually some some research um, uh, uh, by a great researcher called Daryl Cameron that tries to figure out why we don't do this more often. And the truth is basically it's hard work. Uh, so just like exercise, we could all be incredibly fit, but we just don't want to. And so he does this fabulous little study where he asks people whether they want to empathize with uh, a photograph or whether he just wants to, you just want to describe what that photograph is wearing. And people pretty much always choose to describe what the photograph is wearing. Like when we're offered the opportunity to empathize or do something easier, we choose to do something easier because it's hard work. 
Oh, that's fascinating. Hey, okay, so I'm curious about something that is gonna, well, I'm just gonna tell a quick story and then and and then I wanna talk about it in the context here. So I, I have some neighbors that I um, don't interact with very often, but I know them through social media, kind of hoping they don't regularly listen to the show right now, by the way. Um, and and <laughs> honestly, I'm, you know, based on some of the things they post, I'm not sure we get along very well, right? Um, that I, I think we just have very different views on something. Um, but we um, actually taking a page from Georgina's book recently, um, not her literal book, because that's on statistics. And that is how <laughs> we did. But on some things she's talked about before is like some community building efforts. We had a bonfire out front of our house and invited all our neighbors over to just have s'mores with us and hang out. Right. And uh, by the way, it was like 97 degrees. So the bonfire is <laughs> pretty great. Um, it was an ice bath instead. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> so people came over and uh, it was really fun. And I talked to some of the neighbors that I don't necessarily know that I agree with on a lot of things. And we didn't talk about any of those controversial things, but we did, um, or any of those things we don't agree with, but we did just kind of talk. And I, I left that interaction feeling kind of way better about my neighborhood way better about the people I live around and 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 even like spoke to my wife about it afterwards and said you know this like I think I had in my head that things were way worse than they might actually be and that's not really empathy necessarily but it is something about it says something about maybe animosity maybe uh, like just trust um a whole bunch of other things that I guess I would say are like empathy adjacent yeah well I think what you're talking about is like um sort of working yourself up. So we're talking about how hard empathizing with, and maybe you're not quite there yet with your neighbors to fully take their perspective on these views that you're not sure you're going to agree with, but you're, you're sort of getting there slowly. So if you take the gym metaphor a step further, you know, you're not going to go straight for the heavyweights, right? You need to, you need to get yourself uh, there. You got to do some stretches first. Uh, so I, feel I like, like this metaphor. This is great. <laughs> we may be taking this metaphor no, too far. No, no, we haven't taken it far enough. We got to keep going. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like you're, you're taking steps to get there. I mean, we, we can't, especially with people that we fear there may be an animosity for, or we suspect there's going to be a problem. We need to take little baby steps there. And any steps we can take on the way is a great move. Okay. So I really do want to carry the metaphor one more step. So <laughs> Um, but it, but it, in, in service to a real question here, which is, okay, so if I go to the gym and I go too far, I get hurt, right? Presumably. Is there a danger, a similar or analogous danger of if I work too hard to empathize with someone when maybe I'm not prepared, are there potential dangers? Is that fraught in any way? I think the biggest danger I'm foreseeing as soon as you're asking me that question is uh, that you will make a, a cognitive error and make an assumption about what somebody is thinking and feeling that may be incorrect. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that as a researcher, I'm interested in sort of fictional experiences that might allow you to practice your empathy so that you're not doing it out there in the real world where you might make a judgment or upset someone in that. So it's sort of like a low stakes environment. So if we go back to the gym metaphor and I am really pushing it here, <laughs> But if you are going to be lifting those heavy weights, you do it with a spotter in the gym. Got it. You don't do it uh, out in the yard on your own for the first time. You can throw out my empathy back and, <laughs> and, and, and laid up in bed for a while. Awesome. Georgina, anything to any any questions, thoughts before we get to the article? I, I was going to make the transition to the article. Tell do me it. why you love the title 
so much. It's the it's the pun, right? It, random app of kindness evaluating potential of a smartphone intervention to impact adolescents' empathy, pro-social behavior, and aggression. It's the pun. I like a good pun right out of the gate. So, yep. Yeah. Sure. Thank you for that. This, by the way, is published in Psychology of Popular Media just 2023. So just last month, month before, somewhere recently, right? Yeah, about this random app and uh, <laughs> and uh, what you found in the study. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this was um, uh, an app that uh, was developed for tweens and teens, so sort of between the ages of 10, 17 years old. And it's essentially a mini game app and if, that's trying to function as an empathy gym. For, for these teenagers. So they're sort of playing these mini games that are all uh, designed to foster slightly different empathic skills. So in one of the mini games, for example, they have to try and recognize the emotions uh, of a face that sort of has uh, swiveling sections of the face moving around, for example. And uh, in another game, uh, they have uh, an old woman who's crossing the street who they have to try and uh, help across the street. So there, there are lots of different little mini games that sort of practice different empathy skills. And uh, what we did in this uh, research paper that was just published is we, we wanted to test the efficacy of it. So the app has actually been around since 2017 and had been around for a while, but we wanted to show whether it actually worked or not. So we we tested it on a sample of just over 100 teenagers. Uh, and we saw uh, we saw some modest results. So I can't say that this is, you know, the the be all and the end all. This is not the quick fix, as we're saying, uh, but we saw some steps in the right direction uh, with this app, both for promoting empathy and for reducing aggression. Were the teenagers that were part of the study, um, were they like, before they started the study, did they want to increase their empathy or did they have no idea what this app was doing? Uh, so this was uh, run for uh, sort of in concert with schools. So it wasn't uh, so much of a self-selecting sample. And um, so, no, I don't think all of our, our participants were signing up because they had a desire uh, to increase their empathy um, some of them may just have been signing up for the financial incentive. Uh, and then half of our participants were randomized to not use the Racky app, but to actually use a control app um, instead. So they, they didn't all get to interact with our app. That's a really, there's a really interesting question there, I think, of what, do we have any sense for how much people want to increase their empathy? I mean, is that a thing that, I mean, again, to go back to the gym metaphor, most people, I think, want to be in, in better physical shape. But what do we know? What percentage of people wants to be better at empathizing? I wish I had an answer to that. Oh. Um, we do find that most people report they are empathic. So like there's a skew there beyond the normal distribution. Most people think that they are already more empathic uh, than the average. Um but whether people desire them to increase it, I actually have, don't have a good answer for that, Ryan. You know, I wonder, it's, the, it's interesting to think about um, whether or not people understand fully the benefits. And if that's, you know, I don't, again, keep going back to that metaphor, but, um, you know, I think people know the benefits of being physically healthy, but do they understand this as um, 
as a as a way to be mentally healthy is that necessarily what they think and i guess the follow-up question is it i mean what what are those benefits it's yeah, a great question uh so there are lots of, of benefits to being empathic not just for the the people who benefit from your empathy but for for you yourself so uh there's evidence that people who are more empathic have uh, less of the stress hormone cortisol for example uh they're also um less likely to burn out so easily at work, for example. So there are sort of various different health benefits uh, to being an empathic person for you, as well as also the benefits for everyone else that you're interacting with. Um, but I think you're right. I'm not sure that everybody knows that. In fact, I think that especially when I talk about empathy as a muscle and being difficult to work, people often think, well, if I do that, I'm going to end up feeling drained. I'm, I'm not going to want to do that. And, and that might make me feel worse at the end of the day. Uh, but then we go back to the muscle metaphor. You, you, you'll be drained in the moment, but that's going to build your strength so that later uh, you'll mm -hmm. be you'll be able to deal with all of these interpersonal conflicts more easily. I feel like this kind of app, I feel like apps are really popular and have been for quite some time, but making it very clear what the app might help me accomplish in my day-to-day -day life would be really, might make the results more significant. Like if I actually went into the use of an app with some positive thoughts about its efficacy, I might be more likely to have it be efficacious <laughs> for me, at least. It's interesting you say that, Georgina. So it, it reminds me of one of our results, uh, which was on reducing aggression. Uh, so we tested aggression uh, in our sample by having them take part in a white noise blasting task with a partner. Uh, so they could deliver loud blasts of uh, white noise to somebody else. And you know nobody really likes hearing white noise. So that would be a sign of aggression. And what we found was that the app was effective at reducing aggression, uh, but only in those that came into our study with low levels of empathy. The folks that came in already at the beginning of the study with high levels of empathy were already not very aggressive. Uh, but those that came in with low levels of empathy, we saw that they had a reduction. Uh, so it, it does seem that maybe this app is particularly useful for, for people who may be on the lower levels of the empathy spectrum to start with, rather than maybe offering those uh, opportunities that are needed for people who are already high. Remember that we talked about that you need the, you need the situation to be complex and difficult. Well, if you're already uh, functioning at a very high level of empathy, we would need to essentially create the more difficult version of the app to challenge these people. I'm, I'm thinking through apps that are in some ways sort of analogous to this. And the, the two that I kind of came up with in my mind are Calm, uh, the sort of relaxation app. Um, and then I think, I actually don't know the name of this, but I think there's some sleep specific type of apps. I know Calm is also that, but there's some real um, like sleep or meditation specific. Um, but I think in those cases, it's real evident why a person is embracing them, right? It's like, I, I am, I'm getting this because I want to relax and here are the benefits of being relaxed. I know those already. So yeah, it does feel like the, the work to be done here, it, it, some of the work to be done is to figure out, okay, I guess a does, um, this app work, but then the second piece is, and if it does, then how do we convince people that it's important to them? I think you hit the nail right on the head, Ryan, because uh, actually one of the, the fun pieces of results that um, is in the paper is that our participants preferred the control app. They preferred to play on the, the fun dot game than they 
preferred our empathy app. So they weren't necessarily enjoying it, even if it did have these sort of benefits at the end. So we were sort of requiring them to use the app a certain amount. But you're absolutely right. They wouldn't necessarily have chosen to do that on their own. And that, I think, is the next important part of the puzzle, not just how do we increase empathy, but how do we encourage people to be motivated to want to increase their empathy? Yes. This, like, yes to all of that. <laughs> this is all really, really fascinating. Um, I guess one I I do, we're gonna we're gonna shift at some point here soon to our five questions because we want to give people a chance to get to know you a little better. But before we do, do you have any sort of final thoughts on the empathy piece or the uh the the app itself or the study itself, excuse me? Yeah, I think uh, just to sort of say that there has been a lot of talk out there about how smartphones are ruining the younger generation and ruining empathy. Uh, and I think this paper is a, a good example of when this powerful tool can be used for good. Uh, and so much like anything else, you know, apps, the Internet, uh, they they are very, very powerful tools and we, we can use them uh, for good, not just for all. That is fascinating. I love the way you put that. Very, very good. Okay, listeners, we are going to, we want, now I think we've done this once before, but we don't actually remember. So, uh, <laughs> but, but we think we did this with Allison Jane once before. Here's what you should, we, we're going to ask her five questions. Um, and this is a game we've played with new guests, I think, regularly. That's why I think we did this before. Here's what you should do is you should go back to a year ago when Allison Jane uh, did her first episode, you can compare her answers. So if we asked any of the same questions, they'll, they can find out. Uh, Sound good? Yeah. Now I'm going to worry. I'm going to contradict myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. I I, I kind of want to go back myself. And, uh, <laughs> uh, Georgina, should I go first? Yes, go ahead. Okay. It's, it's possible we're not asking the same questions, by the way. So, all right. What is your least favorite food? Oh, you know, I'm going to say something really controversial and it might lose a lot of listeners. Oh, no. <laughs> But I really hate peanut butter. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. I love peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a, I, I, I don't really like peanuts. So, you know, that, okay. that rather throws out the peanut butter. Yeah. Uh, but How do you it, feel I, about butter? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> Butter's okay. I'm okay with okay. butter. Throw butter. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting. All right. That wasn't really your favorite fruit. That was your least favorite food. Hang on, was that not the question? What was your least favorite no, food? I asked least favorite. I did not hear the least part. And I was like, well, why is she telling us about how she hates <laughs> peanut butter when that's not, like, what kind of professor doesn't answer the question, but yeah. like, what kind of uh, professor yeah. doesn't listen to the question? <laughs> Woo, I just disappeared into the forest of my background on Zoom. So <laughs> my question is, um, if you wanted to go and relax someplace on campus, like just to take a break from whatever, um, would it be in a hammock between some trees? Would it be in a remote couch in the library? Or would it be in a busy area where there's lots of people, but like no one that you know, like sort of white noise crowd kind of situation? Which one would you pick? Why to go for the hammock, 100% the hammock. Uh, I, I recently discovered hammocks. Uh, somehow I'd gone through most of my life without ever having hung in a hammock. Uh, but I, I went on a little trip over the summer where we went camping and we hung up a hammock. And I got to say, that's some relaxation right there. 
That is awesome. But they're so hard to get in and out of. <laughs> but once you're in them, it's so relaxing. Yeah. But the entrance and the exit is kind of stressful for me. I, I get that. And once, but that's what makes them relaxing is, you know, like, hey, I shouldn't get out of this, right? I need <laughs> exactly. to stay right here. I know I have work to do, but it's too, it's too dangerous to get out of this. So I'm going to stick it out. All right. Do, uh, do you have any phobias? And if so, what are they? Oh, they don't yeah. have to be like diagnosable phobias either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm very, very scared of ants. Really? specifically ants like I'm all right with spiders and other bugs but yeah. ants get me and there's a story to go with this <laughs> so I was um I was uh, living temporarily in Zambia in Africa I was teaching English in a refugee camp there and um one night we're, sleep we're sleeping in tents and uh the alarm goes off and people are running around uh hitting everybody's tents to wake everybody up that the army ants were coming and so this is a giant column of ants that is headed straight for our camp. And so we were told the only thing to do to prevent this from happening was to in, do a circle of fire around the camp. So we all got up and we start getting our lighters and we're setting fire in a circle around camp. And I was so scared. I ended up setting fire to my 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 trousers, my pants. And so I'm rolling around in the dirt trying to get this, this fire to go out and also got covered in ants. So... Oh. <laughs> ever since and I realized they're not army ants most of the time in America but I have an absolute terrified phobia of ants so if I sit down at a garden bench and there's ants on it I'm not going to sit down there yeah it bite you like I don't know for sure whether I got that bitten I think I was believing there were more ants on me than there actually were because I also had flames on my pants so I don't yeah. I think the ants got burned before they got me that's still, if I'm being honest, that strikes me as the most reasonable phobia origin story I've ever heard. Like I, I, I mean, that, like, yeah, uh, of course. Although of course I, could, I could be just equally as scared of fire. I have no problem with fire. <laughs> like, I'll happily make s'mores, but if there's ants on the table, yeah. I got a problem. I don't want to alarm you, but we sometimes put peanut butter on our s'mores. Um, so. Yeah. Why would you do that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Oh, I don't. Delicious. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Um, if you could choose a color palette that describes your life, what color palette? And you can expand on the word palette in any way that you would like. Oh my goodness. How do I represent my life in a color palette? Well, it was very sort of muted and green and small towny and enjoyable for all of my childhood. I had the quintessential small town childhood. And then we're going to have to have like a bright yellow for when I made that crazy decision to move to New York into America for the first time. Uh, and then we got some nice calm green again while I'm here in Green Bay. So, yeah, green and yellow, maybe. That was wow. an excellent answer. And yeah. about that green and yellow gold are but Packer colors. So I feel like you've come back to yourself. There you go. <laughs> I would have answered that question so poorly. You did such a nice job. I would yeah. I wouldn't have given any of that. I yeah. Oh right. Nice job. Um, <laughs> do you have any hidden talents that our listeners should know about? 
This is the last question, by the way. Oh, no, I don't want to say no. I must have some kind of a hidden talent. I'm kind of a bit creative on the side. I don't feel like I use it very much in my job, but I, I do, I do like, I used to, before I, you know, started working full time, I like to paint and do crafty things. Uh, so I can knit and I can sew and I can somewhat paint, uh, but I feel like most of my creativity, creativity now goes into designing pretty PowerPoint slides. Uh, but maybe, you know, maybe I'll branch out sometime. Yeah, oh, that's great. That's and the, the creativity. Yeah, the creativity was revealed in your uh, in your answer, your palette answer. So <laughs> nice, nicely done. All right, um, I, Georgina, I've got a few thoughts as we finish up, but before we do, I want to hear from you because this is we're we're both finishing up our psych and stuff tour of duty. Yes. Well, I I just I feel like it's not goodbye. It's see you soon. So I. Yep. I don't want to get um like in a crying mode. So okay. I'm going to let you get in a crying mode <laughs> if you would like to. Um, but um, it has been a fantastical part of um, this part of my life for like mm -hmm. three and a half years. I think I've been doing, um, I joined in here and it's just been amazing. I was trying to think of like all of the fabulous guests that we've had on and all of the the super labs and then we were talking about our intern Kelsey and our former intern Hunter and how much I appreciated um, their work with us as well. So it's been pretty great. I agree wholeheartedly, and I agree too. I know this isn't really goodbye in the sense that uh, I mean Allison Jane has already promised that uh, she will have us back regularly. So oh yeah, definitely. And I'm going to hold her to that promise. So. Um, we, will, we will be back often. I do, I want to quickly just say, I when I started this, which I believe was eight or nine years ago, um, I I remember saying to myself, you know what, even if nobody listens, the worst, the like the, the worst thing will be that I had a bunch of fascinating conversations with really interesting people and nobody listened to them, right? And that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, and it has been um, that and more. I love that people like the show and that people listen. And I know they're going to continue to because Allison Jane is great. Um, but I will tell you, um, it is, it, it is, it's been really cool that people are interested in it. But even if they hadn't been, even if it had just been me having these, what, at this point now, 140-ish conversations with really brilliant people about really fascinating stuff that would have been worth it. So um, it was, it, it has been awesome to do this and I'm really, really excited. I will continue to be a regular listener, of course, and I'm really excited uh, for, for that. So very good. Allison Jane, do you have anything you want to say as you finish up or as you, <laughs> as we finish up? <laughs> well, just that I have such big shoes to fill. You guys have got and made an amazing show here and you have so many dedicated listeners. Uh, I, I realize I have a lot to live up to and I, I hope I can get anywhere close. You, you absolutely will. Yep. It's a big microphone to fill. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you are going to do a stellar job. And there are so many interesting people yet that we haven't talked to uh, in this world. And I can't wait to hear what um, new episodes and things are gonna be going to hear about. 
Oh yeah, I'm just buzzing with ideas, all these different things I want to talk about. I hear uh, ideas come to me in the shower and I'm having to get out, <laughs> jot them down. Oh, we could do that on the show. So, oh yeah, it's going to be fun. You, you don't have a shower whiteboard? Like, uh, <laughs> it seems like a really reasonable thing to have. Just That's like, what I need to get. That's my next yeah. purchase. Yeah. There you, go. Uh, you can do some of your crafts on there too. Just. <laughs> I don't have time because as we established the other day, three minute long showers in the Martin house. So um, uh, that is a real. Really strict on the shower length in your household. Yeah. I, we're much more lax in mine. We can sit there and shower note take all day. <laughs> that is a very, very specific reference to a conversation we had off mic a while ago. So deal with it. Um, all right. Um, so I do want to encourage people, if you're listening right now and uh, you haven't had enough of me yet, um, you can find me at Anger Professor in all of the different places. Um, I will continue to, to, to do that and be there. And that'll be my sort of teaching outlet for a little while since I don't have one uh, elsewhere. We got that. Georgina, want to share any any places with people? Yep, you can just find me on social media um, at G-E-L-R-J-E-A-N-N-A-W-B. Outstanding. All right. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. The executive producer is me, Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Rachel Spray. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick, and our graphic designer is Kimberly Bleach. Special thanks to our guest, Allison Jane Martingano, if you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast, to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I am your current host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, Georgina Wilson-Dungas, but we are passing things off to our new co- our new host, Allison Jane Martin-Gano. Keep being amazing. Music.